gospel that has ever been preached, it was revealed unto the Apostle Paul as we closed in Ephesians 3, 3. And then we find in, the, in Ephesians and Colossians shows the mystery, and it leads us unto the heights of all Scripture teaching. And so we look into the Word of God, and we say, Now then, uh, well, he tells us to make it known in Ephesians 3, 9, Make all men see what this dispensation of the mystery is. Now, in making it known. If I was to uh, give this message a uh, subject, I would say Satan's hatred toward the gospel of the mystery. Why does Satan hate this doctrine, which is so blessed and reveals unto us things that was never revealed before and such blessings is never revealed before, but why do we have such a rough time of making it known and why is it opposed? Now, most Christians know more about the devil than uh, they know about the mystery. And so they don't want, uh, they do not know any more about the devil than they ought to know, I'll say this. They should know more about him. So they can truthfully say with Paul, we're not ignorant of his devices. For in Paul said in Second Corinthians, the second chapter, the eleventh verse, we are not ignorant of his devices. And when people oppose this glorious gospel of the grace of God, then we're not ignorant of his devices. God wants every Christian to know the mystery and to make it known to others as we have said in Ephesians 3, 9. You say, well, then it wouldn't be any longer a mystery. Certainly not. And I'm asking the question this morning, why, after 1900 years, should this divine truth still be a mystery so far as 99% of God's people are concerned? Can you answer this question? It is true that the devil doesn't want anyone to understand or even study this divine truth. But isn't God's will to be desired by Christians more than Satan's? And doesn't God's power exceed the devil's power? We know that Satan is mighty, but our God is almighty. And genuine spiritual Christians know that God's power exceeds Satan's power. But this morning I'd like to take a little inventory here as we take in the worldwide political situation, the distress of nations with even the so-called Christian nations on the verge of bankruptcy and destruction. Uh, we may wonder that Satan has such power after 1900 years of Christianity. But we believe that Satan knew what he was talking about in Luke 4, 6 when he told the Lord Jesus, that the kingdoms of this world were under his control. The Lord was right when he called Satan the prince of this world. And when we consider about 1,800 million people of the world religiously and see what the devil has done to them, surely we give a hearty amen to the statement in 1 John 5:19, And there by the Holy Spirit, John said, the whole world 
lieth in the evil one, or in the more uh, precious the translation of that, the whole world system lieth in the lap of the evil one. And surely this is true. In his tricks to keep sinners away from the saving gospel of Christ, Satan is called the god of this age. And we read in Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, and this he says, But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Oh, yes, he hates it, and he does, and he keeps the sinners away. He blinds their eyes so they can't see this gospel of the glory of Christ. And he uh, blinds them and keeps them away from the gospel of their salvation. But he takes those who are saved and hides the gospel of the mystery from them to keep them from seeing what their position and possession is in Christ. Now, to accomplish his purpose uh, with people who want some kind of a so-called Christian religion, the devil transforms himself into an angel of light and instructs his service, uh, service to pretend that they are missionaries of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. And there we find that Paul speaks of them and warns people against them. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 11 and verses 13 through 15. He said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We have seen on our television programs the past few days of this very thing that we're talking about. There we found that we saw the bodies of those uh, that were piled up on top of one another. I believe it has reached over 800 of them now and possibly more. Uh, we have no, do not have the complete report of it yet. But what is the cause of all of this? Uh, it's because Satan had closed the eyes of people to the glorious gospel of the grace of God that saved their soul, and he had closed the eyes of the leaders, and he's transformed the leaders into angels of light. And we see the result of these angels of light, how it leads to eternal destruction and death and separation from God. But when we consider what the devil has done with church members who are actually members of Christ's body, God's one and only church today, and then we notice God's instructions in Ephesians 4 when he says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now I want you to meditate with me this morning on this one, this, just this phrase. The unity of the Spirit. Where is it found? 
Well, he goes on to tell you, one faith, one hope of your calling, and one baptism, one body. How many sects and denominations are there today? Well, there are several hundred. How many bodies are there? The scripture says there's one body. And then I want you to notice in Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And it put all things under his feet and gave him, that is Christ, gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body. Now get that. Give him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now they say, well, there's one church, just one church. Now you know, beloved, this morning, if you have any spiritual perception at all, we do not belong to the church in the wilderness. We do not belong to the church at Pentecost, the kingdom church. Ah, oh, but Paul distinguished and distinctly separates and divides this from all other. That he's raised him up and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. He distinguishes that church as the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ is in the heavenlies. Christ is the one head of this one and only church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. No matter how loyal, zealous sectaries may defend and contend for their denominational churches, the student of the word of God knows that denominationalism is absolutely unscriptural. There is one and only one true Bible church, and that Bible church is denominated the body of Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. In Ephesians 3, 6, that one church is called the joint body. Now, on the day of Pentecost, there was no such thing as a joint body. That was Jews, devout Jews, out of every nation and proselytes. And when a proselyte came over to the Jewish religion, he was known then as a proselyte in the Jews' religion. And so, therefore, we find on the day of Pentecost, there was not a joint body. Members of Christ's body are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and are blessed with all spirit blessings in the heavenly places according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. One reason why God wants all men to see the mystery is expressed in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. And I want you to listen to this. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church, that is, that one church, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The mystery, then, is divine truth concerning the heavenlies, and according to the eternal purpose which God purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. By searching the scriptures, we find that this divine message was not in fulfillment of prophecy, but was a spiritual program predestinated, not prophesied, but predestinated by God before.
before the world began. Now we have seen how Satan works politically as the prince of this world, how as a god of this age he blinds the unbelievers to keep him from believing the gospel of salvation. Now in Ephesians 6, 11 to 20, we learn of Satan's spiritual wickedness in the heavenly. He's not only concerned with the governments of this world, and First John 5, 9 says that this whole world system lieth in the lap of that evil one. That's is in the political realm, but I want you to notice what he is doing in the heavenlies, not in this earth now with the political nations, but in the heavenly places, in Ephesians 6, 11 through 20, we learn of spiritual wickednesses in the heavenlies, his opposition to the message and the messenger of the mystery, divine truth concerning the heavenlies. No, he doesn't want the bodies of Christ to know that because that is our home. For Paul said in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, Jesus Christ, who shall change these bodies of humiliation and fashion them like unto his own body of glory. But listen to him telling what Satan is doing in the heavenly places right now to hinder the people, the members of the body of Christ, of knowing this, this blessed truth. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And listen to it. We are not wrestling with flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in the heavenly places. Then I want you to notice again in the 19th and 20th verses of Ephesians 6. And here the apostle says, and for me. There's he, he's asked him to pray for him. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly. I want all the ministers that's listening in and every child of God to listen to this that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ah, beloved, today they're not praying that they may open their mouth boldly. Yes, even in our own grace uh, movement today, in the grace message, I find them coming along, and they are apologetically talking about the mystery, this here message, but they don't preach it. Oh, but, but Paul said that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We want to see people in all boldness, and they come along and they're not sure. They say, well, now some believe this, but I believe this. Ah, no, this is not the way, method of making it known. We are to open our mouth boldly and say, God revealed the secret unto the Apostle Paul. So for God's sake, let us not go back and mix uh, the gospel and go back unto the Apostle's doctrine that he gives in the early part of the book of Acts 
but that we may go on unto perfection, that we may open our mouth boldly and make known this glorious gospel, the mystery of the gospel. And Paul said, I am an, emboss- an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Will you get this this morning? And if there are any uh, uh, ministers listening in, will you, will you meditate on this? that you may speak boldly as you ought to speak. You ought to be speaking out and telling that Christians, their position and possession in the heavenly places, rather than trying to straighten out the governments of this world who lieth in the lap of the wicked one. Why was Paul a prisoner in Rome? Well, listen to his own words in Ephesians 3, 1 to 3. He says, For the mystery of the gospel... For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation, the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words. And note his words in the, the ninth verse of that third chapter. Make all men see what is the dispensation of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God, And I want to say again, if it was hid in God, you can search in vain for it in the Scriptures anywhere until you come to the Apostle Paul. Here uh, we see the dispensation of the grace of God and the dispensation of the mystery are linked together. This glorious truth was made known by revelation to Paul, as we have told you many times. And this uh, this uh, apostle became a prisoner of Jesus Christ for us Gentiles. Do we appreciate what he suffered for us? I'm afraid not. Instead, they go around and say, they make moans to Paul. They praise Paul more than Jesus Christ. That is not true uh, to any extent. This is Satan, one of Satan's prevarication that he brings against us who believe the message that the Christ, the Son of the living God, made known unto the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, I, it was made known unto me by the revelation of Jesus Christ. All friends, uh, this morning, uh, do you appreciate what that Apostle suffered to, so that we might know? Let's get into the book and try to understand the message for which uh, he suffered. While Paul knew that religious men were opposed to the mystery, and were determined that he shouldn't make that known or preach that divine truth, he knew that he wasn't wrestling against flesh and blood, that his real opponent was the devil as a ruler of world darkness in the heavenlies. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, and we have already read this to you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. Uh, this is in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. And he said in, the, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, that Satan blinded the minds that they wouldn't uh, know. But we find that he makes a very special request in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And this is what we should be praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
Paul did not want minds blinded to the mystery. He knew that it required a special spirit of wisdom and revelation to comprehend that particular glorious truth. The devil today is determined that God's people shall not have the eyes of their understanding enlightened so that they might understand the mystery. God wants all men to see the dispensation of the mystery. Satan wants no one to see it. And Satan, for the most part, is having his way. Of course, we would expect loyal denominationists and zealous sectarians to oppose this glorious message, for it is decided against all sectarianism. The mystery is God's remedy for the sectarian malady and for all the other isms and schisms and asms and spasms and the ills uh, with which the body of Christ is afflicted. And I say asms and spasms because I let me take you back to the scene that you have all seen on your televisions lately of the bodies of these poor benighted blinded souls who are blinded by the God of this age and a religious leader that come along and they follow them. I had a precious uh, minister when I was just a young convert when I was first saved and he had an insight to the word of God. He was so far ahead of his time for he saw these things many years ago and he said uh, when he was a, a young lad out on the farm and uh, his mother raised chickens and he said on a cold January day his mother would warm the food put it in a pan and take it out and set it in that chicken pen and he said some old rooster would come up and grab a mouthful and start running and here'd be a bunch of old hens go after him thinking he had it all oh but he said the best of it was left there in the pan and so it is in this dispensation of the grace of God some old rooster will take a, a text out of its context and he'll go out and start him a church and say, this is it. He's got a mouthful and his old hens thinks he's got it all, but the best of us left in that book. Oh, beloved, don't you be one of those that takes a text out of context and follows some old rooster that has got a mouthful out of that one text and he's going off to a, establish him a church and lead thousands we we have seen this i repeat it to you over and over again we want to warn you of what is taking place in the closing days of this dispensation of the grace of god and show you how satan is going to scare you away even this day now uh, i heard a young man at our conference this week uh from venice florida and this young man, and how I sat there and bowed my head and said, Thank you, Lord, you've still given us young men who are not afraid to proclaim boldly this glorious gospel of the grace of God. And he has trained another young man in his own church. He didn't send it to a cemetery, I'm a seminary, to get uh, educated, because when they come out of them, they have come out of a cemetery. And uh, uh, he is training them, this young man, has gone into another city in Florida, and there he is boldly proclaiming this gospel of the mystery. Ah, oh, how I thank God for that young man. I am training a young man in this message. And this young man comes to my home, and I'm training him. And so far, he has proclaimed it boldly and has made no, uh, he has made no apologies, but he proclaims it boldly. This is what we want. 
And so we find all of the isms and schisms and asms and spasms, and we see what it cost these men and these women and children to follow this man of Satan and see their bodies piled up. For to go wrong here is to go wrong in God's Word if you do not rightly divide the Word of Truth and see the distinction between the body of Christ and the kingdom of heaven on earth. It will lead you into all kinds of isms and schisms and asms and spasms and ills. And we find that uh, the fundamentalists today, uh, instead of opposing this glorious divine truth, they ought to be helping us to make it known. It's sad but true that many such preachers are the bitter opponents of the mystery and use their efforts to keep their followers from seeing the dispensation of the mystery which God wants all to see. We find in, uh, in recent years that several of the presidents and leaders of organized fundamentalists have warned their hearers against listening to preachers who speak about the mystery. Their orders have been, don't listen to them over the radio and don't read their books. This young man that I'm training now and helping him in pastoral work, this young man called the president of one of the great organizations, and he is the leader. And he called him and asked him about this. And you know what? This man, this great, supposed to be great leader, but I've heard him many times, and to me he's not great. Uh, this man told him, he said, don't get, a, don't get hooked up with that. It will confuse you. But this man has learned since he's got into it that instead of confusion, it is unconfusing. He was already confused before he came into it. But he says now, and he gave a testimony to our conference this past week in uh, Orlando and told how that this precious truth has unconfused him and got him out of some of these things. Oh, listen, beloved of God, this morning, won't you listen? And don't listen to these preachers that warn you against and tell you, don't listen to them. I want to tell you that this gospel of the mystery is that gospel that establishes you and that in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now unto him that establishes you in this. And he establishes you in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. You cannot be established in the word of God unless you are established in this gospel of the mystery. And listen, unsafe friend, this morning I want to tell you that this gospel of the grace of God is how that God was in Christ reconciling you unto himself. Oh, won't you be reconciled to God? If God was reconciled and God was satisfied with the work that Jesus did on Calvary, oh, sinner friend, can't you be satisfied with that? And we plead with you, we urge you by the mercies of God this morning, won't you listen? Won't you hear him and believe that God's grace is sufficient to save you regardless of your sin? There's no sin that his grace cannot reach down and touch and lift you up. And you may be in Adam this morning, but you can be in Christ by simply believing God's message that by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, and five times in this fifth chapter of Romans, 
He tells it's a free gift. Accept that free gift this morning, and you know Christ Jesus as your Savior. Until next week at the same time, we say goodbye. God richly bless you.